This, this, this is straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. I'm Greg Crumpton, your host. Glad to be with you. Looking forward to a good conversation today. I uh, hope everybody is out having a good day or a good night whenever you happen to be listening to this. Today, we're flying solo, so you won't hear Gabby or Tyler or anyone today. So it's just me and a, a, a guest who I've been reading about, and um, I thought I should get the man on and let him tell his story. Today, we have Tim Distasio with us. And Tim is the president of Comfort Science Solutions, LLC, a North Carolina-based company. And uh, we share a little bit of North Carolina because I was in North Carolina for 25 years or so. And uh, he even has a 336 area code on his phone. So I recognize that it's Greensboro. So Tim, without further ado, welcome to the show, my friend. Thanks. Good to be here. So you and I connected over LinkedIn because we're both HVAC nerds pretty much. But tell us a little bit about you, how you got to be where you are, why you're passionate about HVAC. Give us a little backstory. So I've been uh, in HVAC pretty much my entire adult life. I was born and raised in Greensboro, which is sort of in the middle of North Carolina. And when I was in high school, my there was a little, I'd say like a vocational school that worked with the local high schools there that they would bus students uh, in and out of and they started offering some trade class electronics and HVAC and I got in on the HVAC on the very first year so that was when I was 17 years old because it was the first year they had brand new equipment tools all kinds of stuff that needed to get set up and the students that was part of our class was to start setting up all this equipment and so I was trying to decide whether I was going to pursue a career in HVAC or electronics I knew I wanted to be in the trades and I credit my parents for that because they recognized that even then, even though the mainstream idea was to send kids to college, they knew the student debt that would be involved. They knew even some of the other changes that college can make to a person's morals and their their upbringing. And they were really wary about that. So they encouraged me to pursue a career in the trades, which would pay well, which did not require me to go get a four-year degree and incur that debt and some of the other challenges that may come along with that. And so I really fell in love with HVAC. I love the fact that you had to learn things about electricity, electronics, plumbing, piping, mechanics, just all the other skills that are involved in HVAC. And I just realized that I, I wanted to do this. So I've been in HVAC since I was 17 years old. I went and got an associate's degree at the local community college. And because I'd taken those high school classes, I was able to place out of a lot of classes in the community college. I got a two-year degree fairly quickly and then got a job in a pretty large, well-known commercial industrial company. And that's where I spent the first 12 years of my career is in commercial industrial, working on hospitals and manufacturing. So we're talking about the late 90s, and that's in North Carolina, as in a lot of the states in the South. Manufacturing was sort of on its decline. You know, during the 60s, 70s, 80s, early 90s, there was in North Carolina, textiles was huge, right. tobacco, furniture, all those, all that manufacturing was huge. And the company that I worked for, that was their bread and butter. In the late 90s, after some legislation passed that allowed these companies to go overseas, manufacturing really took a hit in the South and a lot of companies struggled. Well, they struggled to retool. They almost went out of business. They had a bunch of layoffs back in 2002. 
was right after 9-11 and the economy kind of took a dip right there too. But I was able to survive the layoffs just because I was an apprentice that was already doing technician work, but still getting paid like an apprentice. So they almost couldn't afford to let me go. So I stayed on and they retooled. They started doing more data center work and pharmaceuticals started coming into the state. And so I got trained on working on chillers and data centers and just big commercial industrial stuff. And I absolutely loved it. Well, sometime around 2010, I started thinking about having my own business and I was going back and forth. I said, well, the the first step is to become licensed in North Carolina as a contractor. So I started taking prep classes and learning uh, what I needed to in order to pass the test. And I started learning a lot about HVAC design because part of the test is understanding ACA Manual J, Manual S, Manual D. And I realized that there was a part of my knowledge base that I had missed, and that's the building envelope and the, the house or the building that we're putting this HVAC system in. I was always just fixated on the actual equipment itself, not really thinking outside the box. And so that really opened up my eyes and I realized, man, I think that HVAC and building science, I didn't really know that's what it was called at the time, but I, I realized that these two were interwoven yeah. and I, I never really realized that. Well, I got my HVAC license and I ended up starting my own business and some of my commercial industrial customers followed me because I had taken such good care of them over the years. But residential work just fell in my lap and I wasn't really expecting to get into residential work, but it just sort of happened. And I started to learn more and more about building science and home performance. Now we're in 2012. So we think about it, we're in the middle of the Great Recession. There is a lot of government money that has come down on the pipe and is funding weatherization programs. And so all these green programs are up and running. Home performance contractors are popping up. And I realized that most residential HVAC contractors were only thinking about replacing equipment. Whenever there was a problem, there was always a solution that came in a little box and they didn't really understand building science. And so I realized that I would make a pretty good living being in a niche where I could pursue these home performance contractors, these building science professionals, and be the HVAC guy that speaks their language. And what they told me was I was a breath of fresh air. And that's how I built my business. And so I ran my business for about 10 or 11 years. It grew to about nine employees, you know, still pretty small, but everything funneled through me. And what I found that I was doing less and less of the science and the work that I loved, the HVAC and learning about building science that I loved. And I was doing more administrative things, going back behind employees and technicians that weren't doing a good job and things were just starting to get out of control. So, and my business wasn't even profitable after a while. And I started thinking, you know, I, I was better off when it was just me. So I made some changes. I realized what part of my business, what little department was not, it was the problem and the kind of work we were doing a lot of energy star new construction work and that was very low margin and i just decided to shed the stuff that wasn't working and so i got my business down to about five employees and we started being profitable again i was still pretty stressed out but then i get contacted out of the blue from a local business broker now i've been contacted before by people that want to sell your business and they seemed a little sketchy they want a lot of money up front it didn't seem like that i would have a lot of leverage to like what if they didn't find a buyer they would just keep your money and, and what there was no incentive for them well this one was a little bit different and uh, they it just seemed legit they were a local company also so they said they were looking to sell small to medium-sized hvac 
companies. They had buyers lined up and I just went through the process. I mean, this is during the pandemic. In fact, I got the call when I was on the way to my first vaccine. So we're talking about spring of 2021, I think, is when I first got the call. And I just sort of let it happen and just see where it went. And by February 2022, I had sold my business to another kind of up and coming um, entrepreneur that was trying to grow a, grow a heating and plumbing business. And he was doing that by looking for uh, owners that were looking to exit their business and then he would take over their customer base. Uh, I worked for him for a year, but I saw this as my ticket to, because I had to sign a non-compete and I couldn't practice HVAC in Greensboro on my own anymore. I decided, well, if I got to move, then I'm going to go to the North Carolina coast because that's where my wife and I had vacationed and we just loved it. And we were looking for a way to get over here and that's how it happened. So I moved in uh, just a few months ago in February, 2023 here to Southport, North Carolina, which is on the coast. And I've set up just a little one man consulting design and service company, Comfort Science Solutions, LLC. And I focus on, uh, I do a lot of design work for firms and people around the country when they have a specific, you know, a one-off house of something that they don't really maybe trust their local HVAC contract to do, to do the design work. And then a lot of times they'll contact me and I'll go through the whole manual J SD process, produce a set of deliverables that look like a construction set of drawings with details and wiring diagrams and hand it over to them. And then their local HVAC contractor can put it in. And I've really now had the time and the bandwidth to understand building science more, to understand air quality. And so now I'm a student of both of those things, incorporating that into my local consulting side of my business, where we do you know comfort consulting into air quality problems. When you have a weird problem that maybe your HVAC company hasn't seen to be able to fix, then we apply building science and we find the solution to it. So that's where I'm at now. Wow. What a what a whirlwind trip. I relate to to a lot of that. Uh, your your journey and and we talked before we hit record, but we're we're similar in that we grew up in the trade and, and then we built a business and exited the business. And uh, it, I, I totally get the administrative part, the insurance negotiations, all that stuff that you have to do as an owner of a small company that really distracts you from serving customers. You know, I mean, it's got to be done. Absolutely. Because you want to be, you know, above board and protected you and your employees and everybody else. But man, it could be a drag. So I, I totally get the the whole when when you were reflecting back on taking your state exam. So I've taken three exams. I've took the North Carolina. I'm unlimited here, a AC, whatever. There's three of them, certification, AC one, two, and three, I think. But I did that, took South Carolina unlimited there and took Georgia unlimited. And man, I believe that somewhere there's a toss up between North Carolina and Georgia on the difficulty scale, but that was not an easy test. I agree. That was the, when I took it, there were two parts of the test. There was the sort of the HVAC side of it, which was like 300 questions and you had a fair amount of time to, to find them. But then there was another part of it called the business administration. And that was 50 questions in 60 minutes. And it came from a book that was about 200 pages thick. And so you had to either know the answer from heart or you had to know exactly where in the book to find it. And the prep classes that I took really, really helped. But at the very end, I am, I've got a minute left and I've got 10 questions that I haven't answered. And I just, I've always heard that 40% of the answers are C. 
And so for those last 10 questions that I had, the really, really hard ones I left behind, like I wasn't, and, and they do stuff to trick you on this test. They put the really hard ones up front to make you waste time on them. And then, and they'll put trick questions in there instead of CFM, it's CFH just to try to throw you off, which is not cool. But at the very end, I had 10 really hard ones where like, man, I don't even know where in the book this is going to be. It's going to take me 10 minutes to find each questions. I just went right down the line, C, 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 all the way down. And I, I passed it the first time and very few people i think uh, i think they said it's a 90 percent failure rate on the first time for the north carolina test but man for yeah that's what the prep class teacher um at the time had told us and I just devoted eight months of my life to study, study for that test. I was in my mid-20s. I didn't have any kids. Uh, every Saturday afternoon, that's what I did. And I just studied the books and took practice questions and scheduled it and made it happen. But it, that was the hardest test I've ever taken, for sure. Which I really, I like that. I like having quality testing for contractors because if you are licensed, and I know you have a North Carolina license, you know I have one. So we have a mutual understanding of a knowledge level as a baseline. Which is always comforting when you know, you know, I don't know what kind of coffee you like, but I know that you pass that test. So we have a lot in common uh, as far as mostly tenacity, probably. So we're, we're I, I passed it the first time as well. I didn't know it. I didn't know that failure rate. But uh, I'm just passing off what was told me. Maybe that's accurate. Maybe it's not. <clears throat> but I know a lot of people that have t failed it the first time. A lot of people and failed it the second time. It's a commitment. Yeah, it is. So. No doubt. Well, tell me, man, um, that just, you, you stoked a lot of memories there for me. I remember one drip leg question on the gas portion. What's the minimum drip leg? And I took the test along with this fellow named Frank and we were driving because you had to go to Raleigh to take it when I, when I took it. So we were driving back to Charlotte from Raleigh and we were debating these questions. And he said, you missed that one. I'm like, nope, I didn't. It's 12 inches. That's what it says in the book is a minimum drip leg on the dirt. And he pulls over on the side of the interstate, cracks his trunk open on a Honda Accord, pulls his book out. And I hear him back there cussing and slam the trunk. He gets back in the car and never says another word. <laughs> So it, that's what it is. It's it's a twelve inch drip. Yeah. Leg. Wow. I've gotten away with like putting three inch drip legs because we're putting them in crawl spaces, man. We, we don't have twelve inch. But you got to bump. The, the trick is to bump up, but you're defeating the purpose of the drip leg if you bump it up. But anyway. Exactly. Yeah. It's you know it's in the book, so <laughs> well, that's what I remember right. anyway. But the the company that you work for, I, I'm familiar with them, and actually I have a, a friend who is their operations manager over there now. And uh, man, what a story, you know, group of people that is of everything that they've been through. But so I moved to North Carolina in 1997 and that was kind of, uh, so I moved up here with a big company called McKinney's, big mechanical contractor. And they were into commercial real estate, high rise developments, what they did. But the textile market and the furniture market and cigarettes and all that stuff were really, I mean, I was, I was watching the thing deteriorate, right? before me. Yeah. I remember that company having a lot of work in the Greensboro area with a big property management company. This owned by some political influence families up there. And they really had to go through a, a you know, a personality change to, to retool the company. And that's difficult, you know, once you become accustomed to it. But anyway, I'm curious about people in your career that, that have been influential. And, you know, you were talking to them about 
uh, when you were in high school, you went to the community college for a half a day. I did the same thing. We called it, it was called OPEC, O-P-E-C. It was like open campus or something where we went to the community college. They had a metal shop. They had a welding shop. They had uh, electronics, I believe, and they had masonry and auto body. So there's five disciplines you could learn. And that, man, I'm telling you, that saved me finding that you know, piece of, of education where I could focus on something I really enjoyed. And my, my teacher over there, my instructor was a welder, an iron worker from Des Moines, Iowa. And I remember this guy to this day, you know, he was, he was solid. He was a welder by trade. So he wore blue denim shirt, blue denim pants all the time, but the, the college made him wear a tie. Now, the guy's running a grinder and a welder. So he bought a red clip-on bow tie, and that's what he wore every day. But it was always hanging off the side of his collar. It wasn't buttoned up. Like, it was, it was, so we all, we all got a kick out of that. It just shows you how goofball uh, policy can be, you know, risking a guy. Well, yeah, exactly. Sometimes academia just needs to step out of the way, and it's well-intentioned, but they just don't understand. Yeah, a nine-inch side grinder would snatch that thing and, and probably choke him out. But how about you? Who, who's influential uh, that you reflect back on and think, you know, without them, I, I may not be where I'm at? Well, my, my HVAC instructor was a guy named uh, Hank Burlew, and he he was a service manager and a pretty... He was a big wig and one of the competitors of the company that I ended up going to work for. They were a, the, a large train dis- dealer. They had two distributor supply houses in Greensboro. He was a service manager for years and he'd already made his living. He'd already retired. He was, his portfolio was well diversified. He owned a couple of gas stations. Like this guy didn't need to go work for a high school and he did it for the trade. And that just really impressed me. It's like, this guy doesn't have to do this. You know, he's in his late sixties and he's, he's out here teaching a bunch of rowdy high schoolers. And so that really impressed me. I ended up going back and teaching um, at the local community college off and on throughout the years also. And I think that's one of the reasons why is because just being able to give back was was important to me. And I still try to do that. I just do it with a different media now. I do a lot of, I post a lot of content on social media, just trying to help people understand building science and HVAC and how they mesh together. But I would say more recently, uh, have you heard of the Dunning, I think it's called the Dunning-Kruger uh, graph. It's sort of like this graph graph that's got a line that peaks up and then it also dips down then there's a slow climb back up and it's really the journey that people take where they first start learning a trade and they very quickly think they know it all and the peak that peak is called the uh mount stupid so mount stupid huh so tell us a little bit about that (laughs) yeah so there's this thing called the dunning kruger effect and you can look it up but it's uh this graph that really shows the journey that a lot of us take when we start learning something new and there's this really fast process where we learn very little but we think we're learning a lot and we get to this peak of confidence where we think we know it all but we don't know what we don't know and that peak is called mount stupid and i think we take this journey multiple times i've taken it multiple times in my HVAC career because I've had like two or three careers going from industrial to residential to building science. But I would say back in 2017, I was on one of the Mount Stupids thinking I kind of one of the best there there ever could be. And then I discovered the HVAC school podcast and the the content that Brian Orr puts, puts out. And I realized how little I knew. I realized that the work that my company was doing was slightly 
slightly above average. The only reason why I thought we were that great is because the bar is so low in the wild west of the South. The standards are so low that, you know, we were well above that. But as far as what really industry standards were, I had a lot to lot to learn and a long way to go. So I was on Mount Stupid. I discover HVAC school. I discover Brian Orr. And so I I blame Brian Orr for shoving me off Mount Stupid and into what is called the Valley of Despair on the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, And that's where you realize, and it happens very quickly once you start educating yourself and how little you know. And then you start this slow climb that's called the slope of enlightenment. I think that's where I am now, where I started absorbing more and more content from people like Jim Bergman and Bill Spohn, Alex Meany, some of the real pillars of where the rubber meets the road in our industry. And some of these educators, Ty Branham and Allison Bales, my goodness, you know, he just came out with a great book that's mo- teaching building science at a uh, at a layman's level. And I'm starting to learn that. So that's where I'm at here. I, I probably, those people that I mentioned are probably the biggest people that have influenced me. There's some great practitioners out there that are already doing it. There's Jenry Garcia. He's in Miami. There's uh, Michael Hausch. He's in Ohio. Nate Adams is also in Ohio that's really doing some great work. And people like that following their content has just been amazing. And I'm learning from all of them and taking the best parts of all of them. And that's where I'm at now. So I credit all those people who have pioneered to make this industry better. Well, I I definitely appreciate that. And I I applaud you because whether it be HVAC or life, I think we all hit Mount Stupid on some, on a bunch of, so I'm I'm a a Mount Stupid superior in my marriage because (laughs) after 38 years, I'm still learning a lot. So I'm continuously on the, on the enlightenment slope, my marriage. So I really, you know, this sounds crazy, but I don't think guys, and I'm talking, I, I can say this because I are one. I don't think we can really think till we're about 33, 34 years old because we get, we're really oblivious from the time we're 17 till we're 34, somewhere in there. We're just walking around this cloud. And we think we know a bunch more than we do. And we're scared to admit it because somebody might find out we don't really know it, but they already know we don't know it, but we don't let on. It's really rewarding to hear, you know, you, first of all, recognize those, excuse me, recognize those guys who have, have, you know, been out there earning their stripes. And I've got the same cast of characters in my life. Uh, different names, but same same kind of genuine appreciation for what they do, and some of the same. It, it, it's just amazing. You you mentioned something that really bothers me though is the bar is so low in the South that it's scary. But you know, I work for a company. We're national. I, I would go on record and say the bar is pretty low everywhere, not just in the South. What's what's wild to me, Tim, is that we don't require certification or or, or any kind of certificate to do service work. You know, I mean, we have to be conditioned air contractors to permit a replacement or a new job, but we can go to this building or this house or this hospital or that data center with zero accredited credential. It's totally up to the consumer to vet us, which is a shame because they don't know. They, I mean, they see a bright, shiny truck and a guy with a set of tools or, or a lady with a set of tools. They think they're getting what they pay for. So that that's 
always just seemed wacky to me. Yeah, and the reason why I sort of picked on the South a little bit, and it's nothing, uh, I mean, I was born in North Carolina. I'm, I'm proud to be from the South, but at least up North, you have more of a union presence. And I know there's a lot of flaws with union. There's not a perfect system out there. They're all flawed. But at least there is some kind of vetting process where you start out as an apprentice and you don't get to call yourself a journeyman until you have so many hours in the field, you pass a test. Now, it's not perfect. Uh, in Canada, you can't legally touch a gas line without getting a certification. And here, any like you said, anybody can walk up to a gas line of a high-rise building, and they can. There, there's no certification. There's nothing preventing them from servicing that gas line, cracking it open, replacing part of it with PVC, and walking away and blowing the whole building up. And they've legally blown up the building. I mean, yeah, there, there are codes and there's other standards that they they haven't followed by doing that. But nobody knew that they didn't know what they were doing when they walked up. There was there was no certification. And at least in other places, they've attempted to take some of that out of the equation. But here, you know, in I think in Texas, there's not really anything barring somebody from building the house or calling them a general contractor even here i mean you have to pass a test to be a general contractor and you have to have so much money in the bank but you know anybody can pass the test if they start if they um if they study hard enough and there are so many mistakes yeah. <laughs> exactly so now, you're, it's uh you're dead on there you know our so we own 56 companies across the country and mm-hmm. about half are union half are non-union and i grew up in a union shop so i, I appreciate the the apprentice journeyman relationship it, it's amazing to me that the whole human humans are amazing to me because of how different we all are. And there's 8 billion of us and none of us are alike, which is a whole nother conversation for another day. But, you know, I just always think about that. And, and so I've got an RV and here's how I relate it. So I got this RV. I know a lot about it. I know a lot about the electrical and mechanical system, yada, 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 but I'm not a hundred percent RV tech. And if I call an RV company and they send someone out there, I'm totally at the mercy of that person who shows up to, to work. That's how I think our customers sometimes feel is that we don't have, you know, like the automotive guys have ASME chevrons on their on their sleeve of what they're com- competent in. So I don't know, just a, just something to think about. But thank you for continuously educating yourself and others. I think that's that's what I'm trying to get at. Yeah, I mean, there are organizations um, like Nate and other certification organizations that I think are trying to be like that ASC certification for uh, automotive. And we should have something, but it just doesn't seem like the industry has you know come together and settled on one. And so you have a lot of smaller organizations that are doing some great work, but they're just not recognized as the authority. Like you don't know what you're doing unless you have this certification. And it's, it's sad uh, and it's dangerous. Well, I know that Nate is highly focused on residential, but for commercial work, you know, like you focus your early career on and like I've in 24-7, there's no real credential other than the guy rolling up in the in the truck and you you, you kind of roll the dice. But anyway, maybe, maybe uh, you know, the dots all connect one day and we get some kind of universal code that we feel confident and competent and somebody that has this earmark is, is, is good to go for this kind of property. But that's, that's probably a whole nother podcast. You mentioned something, uh, or I saw you mentioned something yesterday, the ceiling fan, the diffuser. And the only thing that I could figure out was condensation. You were trying to break up the stratification. What were you trying to Yeah, do? so stratification, I'm trying to break up. So my house is on the coast. We're predominantly cooling the climate. And the way my house is, I've got a cathedral ceiling on for the living room and, and kitchen. And I could not easily 
run a duct up and over that cathedral ceiling or routed around it. There was just no good way. And so I needed to make sure that I delivered air to the other side of the room. I could get registers on one side of the cathedral ceiling on that slope part, but not on the opposite side. And so this is where, again, having just a knowledge of the standards that have been in place for a very long time, but very few of us are actually aware of them. ACA publishes a standard, or not a standard, but a sort of a, a guideline book. It's it's manual T, and T stands for termination. And I haven't, or terminal, but I haven't gone through it in detail. But what it does, it makes us aware of the need to understand how air is thrown out of a register. Uh, and so a register, the typical registers that you would get from a residential supply house are just stamped metal, and they do fine, but there's not really a lot of test data on them. And when you need to throw air a specific length across a room, which is what I would need to do here, then you really need to think about not only the register selection, but the size of the geometry. Do you go with a 6x10, a 4x12? And the velocity, I would assume, too. And the, the velocity is huge. So I knew how much air I needed to deliver into the living room between two registers. And I, I looked up, uh, Hart & Cooley makes a great register. They make more commercial grade registers, but commercial grade, that's more important because you're usually trying to throw air into a larger room. Right. So these commercial registers have the, the data, the test data. And I found one that would throw the amount of air that I needed to throw, the distance that I needed to, with the velocity from the, I ended up going with a six by 12. And so Essentially, I am throwing air out of this curved blade commercial grade register in my residential house. And uh, we're going to use a Coanda effect, which is a sort of a scientifically understood effect that air likes to hug ceilings and walls and other surfaces. And so we're going to throw this. And between all that data, I know that I'm going to be able to throw this air at least to the peak of that cathedral ceiling. Yeah, and then I've got the ceiling fan that's just going to turn very slowly and mix that air throughout the whole room. And so Allison Bales has had a few articles, great articles about select ceiling fans. And so you want to select one that the, the bigger the blade, the better. You want to select one that doesn't have to, that first of all has a DC motor because those are more energy efficient. And they're actually more efficient as far as CFMs of air moved per watts of power consumed if they move at slow speed. And so essentially I'm throwing this air up to the peak of the ceiling and then I've got a ceiling fan that's just slowly churning up that air. I'm removing any kind of stratification. Now in our short winters the opposite will happen that I'm going to throw that heat up there and that heat's going to want to stratify but that ceiling fan if it's just moving very slowly it's not like I'm going to feel air moving but it's going to mix that air around in that room instead of getting stratification because with high ceilings stratification is as most of us know a, a big deal so i would just i posted that just to kind of raise some awareness that we can strategize how we throw air into the room in my office i have a similar thing where i am throwing air from an interior register from the interior wall out towards the window and again i've kind of done the math and 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 looked at the register data and where i don't have air blowing directly on me because i'm going to be sitting right by that window in my office and i don't want to have air moving across a microphone so i'm going to have the register throwing air way away from me so the velocity of that air has time to slow down and so again just being aware of some of the finer parts of HVAC design is just going to make a contractor, a technician better. And so those are the kind of nerdy stuff that I post just to make technicians think about things. And then, you know, they can learn more about it on their own like I did or ask questions like I used to and or that like I still do and, and learn more and be better. Well, I'm glad I got it right. I was going to I was going to reply, but man, I'm 
I've got this kidney stone thing going on, so I haven't been a hundred percent. So I looked at it last night and I said, he's trying to make sure that he doesn't stratify and maybe not have condensation on that grill as well. Yeah. I'm not really worried about condensation on the grill just because I'm going to have a dedicated dehumidifier that is going to control the dew point. And so the the dew point, if as long as everything's mechanically operating right, will always be lower than the temperature coming out of the air. But again, understanding the psychrometrics and dew points is really important, especially in a humid environment. So I've got a, a Santa Fe dedicated dehumidifier that will be drying the house out. So my intent is to make the house maybe 45 to 50% in a coastal environment that hard to do and be able to raise the temperature a couple degrees because it'll be comfortable between that ceiling fan kind of mixing some air in the summertime i'm hoping maybe i can even be comfortable at 78 maybe even 80 degrees and 45 percent humidity we'll we'll see but if my math is correct i think i'll i'll be there i know that we're geeking on this stuff because we both like it but i'm going to tell you the older you get the more temperature you can tolerate because uh, my wife and I are both much uh, more susceptible to being cold nowadays than we were when we were younger. <laughs> so, yeah. Tell me, yeah. Uh, I'm, I'm really curious, you know, you're, you're a young man, been successful in, in exiting one business and moving and getting set up and having your, as you said, a one-man consulting firm and having fun with that. What does the next little run look like for you? What's the next chapter? How does this play out? I would like to be a, get my name out there a little bit more in the community here to be a, the guy that people run to in coastal North Carolina when they can't control their humidity and indoor air quality. I don't think there's many of us out here in this market. And that's sort of a lesson that maybe your listeners that are small contractors or aspiring contractors can be is that every market needs a building science home performance HVAC practitioner. And you can be that guy. And that's what I want to be in this area here. The design work, I'll always have that. I've got a great relationship with uh, Jeremy Begley. He does a lot on LinkedIn also. Mm -hmm. We work together doing a lot of design work and I'll always have that. But I really enjoy being in the field and I want to build that part of my business. Uh, And then the uh, once I kind of get settled there, I do want to build the Tim DeStazio HVAC brand just a little bit more. Um, So because I think, again, I've taken a journey that I think a lot of technicians and small contractors have taken or are in the middle of or would like to take. And that's from going from being the average run-of-the-mill technician or contractor that just thinks about the equipment and expanding and and thinking about total home or building performance. And I want to get that education out there. And so building my my social media brand and who knows what other platforms that I might build up, I want to do that. I want to get the word out there so that guys can realize, guys and gals can realize that, hey, I can be that one or two total performance HVAC contractor in my market. And there are customers in every market that will flock to you and you can stay above the fray and you don't have to worry about trying to cater to people who just view their home and their HVAC system as a box, as an easily replaced box, like a toaster that when it breaks, you just go to Walmart and you get the cheapest one there. You can stay above that. There are people out there that educate themselves and with AI and chat GPT, people are becoming a lot more educated on very much, very 
easily on building science. And they're, they're going to realize that there's a lot of companies out here that don't know what they're doing. And if you can get your name out there as being the guy that fixes the problems the right way, you can build a heck of a business. I've done it once and just proof that you can do it. Subject matter experts. You know, I think that every industry has them and it takes somebody who has been on Mount Stupid to realize that they probably need a subject matter expert at some point. Because, you know, let's face it, 99% of the people you don't want to work for anyway, because they don't appreciate the value you bring or your knowledge. They're looking for low price, whatever, quick response, low price. That, that's not yep. who you want to work for anyway. And I think by building that brand that you're speaking of and, you know, having an educationally, foundationally built business is just so sweet. You know, I love that. I, I, somebody asked me the other day, how much mechanical work do you think you've sold in your lifetime? And my answer was probably not much because I'm not a really good salesperson, but I've had a lot of people that wanted to buy after I was able to educate a little bit about what the problems were. I just, you know, a friend of mine, he says, uh, he's an author, Gittimer, Jeffrey Gittimer, and he says, people hate to be sold to, but they love to buy. And when I think about that, of what people feel like in on our industry, they don't want to be sold the 995 tune-up. They want to have somebody, and again, this is our proper people we want to work for. People want to feel like they're getting their money's worth from a professional. And we're, we're all consumers. We buy stuff every day. You know, I used the RV example a while ago. I know what it feels like when somebody rolls up and they're professional and knowledgeable. And you, you just get that. It's a feeling. And you want to exude that feeling when you show up at your customer's place. Yeah. And so because the HVAC industry has had such a bad reputation of people upselling and just, you know, mistreating customers, taking advantage of the fact that when you're at the, as you said earlier, you're at the mercy of the technician comes out there. And if you've already paid the service fee, if he tells you you need a new unit, you're faced with, okay, well, I'm going to buy the new unit from him, or I'm going to have to pay another service fee for another person to come out and potentially tell me the same thing. And then I will have wasted my money. So people are kind of faced with that. And because of that, when I started my, the residential side of my business, I wanted to stay so far away from that sales mentality, it was almost to a fault. And so even my technicians, I did not reward them. I did not want them selling units. They were just going to pass leads to me, just like you would in commercial. A technician that goes and works on a large high-rise building is not going to sell a new rooftop unit. He's going to realize that, okay, this unit's got a lot wrong with it, and he's going to have a conversation with the person in charge, and then he's going to pass that lead on to a salesperson. We took that model. I want to stay so far away from that sales mentality I, to a fault. And I think there's somewhere in between this. There's nothing wrong with sales. It just has to be done ethically. And you want to make sure that when you tell the customer something that it is technically sound. And there is a lot of sales pitches. And I've heard with my own ears sales pitches from technicians that I cringe when I listen to that because they are bald-faced lies. And either the technician doesn't realize they're a bald-faced lie or he doesn't care. And so there's two different types of residential HVAC business owners. And maybe you can extend that to HVAC business owners. There are people that are they're more worried about the business side. Maybe they've never been on the technical side. And so they're running a business. They want to do things that are the most profitable, that, bring, that drives the most revenue. And then there are people like me that 
really want to be technical, technically sound, sell technical excellence and let the sales come organically. Now, people that want to get into high performance HVAC and doing it the right way, you're probably not going to build an empire because this system is sort of created to reward people that sell the wrong way. They, they're the ones that build empires and that's how the consumers have been trained with marketing and media. But if you don't want to, if you're okay with not building an empire and retire, retiring a billionaire, then you can build a very nice business and be able to sleep at night. If you're that kind of person, you can do it the right way, but don't think it's very few people that can actually build an empire running a business the right way, the ethical way and worrying about the science first. It's just, it's very difficult to do. Some people have done it, but that's what I think is a problem with the residential side of the industry is that technicians are trained to be salesmen first. And that's where the concentration of their weekly training goes into is how to overcome objections. And that's important, but it's, it's understanding people and understanding how to communicate and all that's important, but you cannot do it at the expense of the technical knowledge. And when you ignore one to concentrate on the other, that is unethical because you are showing up in a uniform, in a marked truck with a phone number, calling yourself a, a service technician. When in reality, you're showing up to be a salesman that's misleading, that's a bait and switch and it's wrong, but that is how the majority of the larger companies out there operate. And I just, I have a problem with it. You know, I ran my business to be so far away from that. And I was a breath of fresh air to a lot of customers and the right kind of customers flocked to me and they ran away from companies like that. Well, the good book says you can't serve two masters. I, I guess you and you and I are, are similar in that we both are more technically minded in how we run our, our stuff. Tim D'Astasio, great fellow, great business. I love his, his outlook. Tim, you, you've been a, a just a kind of a breath of fresh air for us too. So I appreciate that. But thank you. When people want to learn more about you and building sciences, what's the best way to get in touch with you to learn some about what you got going on? How, how can we get you? The social media platforms that I post HVAC professional related content is YouTube, Facebook, and Instagram and LinkedIn as well. But my candles on YouTube, Facebook, and LinkedIn is at Tim Distazio HVAC. And then on LinkedIn, you can just find me, Tim Distazio or Timothy Distazio. Um, I'm, I don't think there's another one on LinkedIn. <laughs> so, yeah. So, uh, last name is D E S T A S I O. Well, there you go. And so, just for the it's, uh, at Tim Distazio HVAC or Tim Distazio on LinkedIn. Well, I appreciate what you're doing, what you stand for. I appreciate the subject matter expert mentality and the excellence. You mentioned that word. Trust is a word that we talked around. We didn't say it, but that's what we're delivering is, is enabling trust with our consumer and our customer. So, Tim, I, I just want to say thank you. Uh, appreciate you taking a, a close to an hour out of your life that uh, I can't promise you'll ever get it back, but hopefully we'll <laughs> get some good conversation started from it nonetheless. But. It was totally worth it. Thank you, Greg. I'm glad you. I'm glad to be on here. Well, folks, that is a wrap for another episode of Straight Out of Crumpton. We're coming up on about number 100 episodes, so I'm not sure exactly where we are, but uh, we'll have to do the math on that soon. But we'll have a big celebration for, for 100. So if you want to learn more about HVAC, about people, about the whole deal that, you know, Straight Out of Crumpton is all about. Go to gregcrumpton.com. You'll see uh, different ways to get in touch. You'll see some different things we're involved with. And one thing I forgot to mention, Tim, you'll get a kick out of this, is uh, July 1st is the inaugural HVAC Icons Day. And that's something that I started 
um, because I want to have a way for people, including myself, to give back to our founding fathers and the people who were of influence. So we're, we're pulling this together. If you go to my LinkedIn page right now, Greg Crumpton, I'm on LinkedIn, pinned to the top of my thing, you'll see HBAC icons. And what you're going to be able to do is to go onto this website and list out your heroes of the HVAC industry, just to pay homage or, or memorialize some who have already passed. But uh, I just thought that was a cool way for us to give back a little bit to the people that made our industry what it is and uh, continue to do so. So look for that coming up soon too. For now, uh, thanks, Tim. Uh, thank you all for taking time to listen to us. I'm Greg Crumpton, and we will see you next time on the radio. This, this, this is... Straight, straight, straight out of Crumpton with your host, Greg Crumpton.